Today's show is brought to you by the letter R and the number 7. This is the More Than a Drunk podcast. I am Joseph. Welcome. I'm going to move all of my other talking to the end of the podcast now, so that way we can get in here and get going uh, and uh, discuss what we're here to discuss. Anyway, uh, away we go. Is it possible to to recover from drug abuse? For a long time, I, I I've thought the common wisdom that no, you're 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 never an ex addict. You're always a recovering addict, or, or or I forget what the exact phrase is, but I always thought that that phrase was unfair and untrue. I thought you know once you get to a certain point. You could declare yourself an ex-addict, an ex-alcoholic, and 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 move on with your with your life. And as I talk to people, and and not even people who maybe are in recovery programs that are perpetuating their cravings and those kind of things, but even even other people that have long since put the programs behind and and have lived a sober life for ten, fifteen years beyond that, the the cravings. And and the idea of having a drink kind of stays with you, it seems, more or less forever. So today I, I, I want to explore what does it look like? Like, like can you d- declare yourself recovered? Now, first off, we have to start with what is an addict or someone who has this, what's called substance use disorder? That's kind of what like alcoholism and drug abuse and all those kind of things are lumped into officially. Substance use, uh, you may see alcohol use disorder um, and various other things. Anyway, so it's it's actually substance use disorder. It's actually defined in uh, the DSM-5, which the DSM-5 is, is kind of the manual for handling mental health stuff for all the professionals. Uh, and the five comes, it's the fifth edition. And they revise it every 20, 30 years, whatever it is. So in there, they have 11 symptoms listed of uh, drug abuse, of drug addiction. There we go. Uh, and you have to have at least two of the 11 of these uh, within the last 12 months. So, I mean, that's, that's, a pretty, and that, that's a pretty narrow scope over a long period of time. But I know for myself, a lot of these fit. So you... Uh, have times where you wanted to end up drinking more longer than you intended to. Did you did you want to cut down, cut down or stop drinking and tried but couldn't? Uh, I'm definitely there. The first two absolutely uh, apply to me. So boom, right there. We're, we're two. We're two of two. We're already we're already uh, a drug addict and alcoholic. So boom. Uh, spent a lot of time drinking, or being sick, or getting over the hangovers. I, uh, hold on, I'll take that, I'll, I'll walk that back a little bit. I was going to say, I, I, I didn't have hangovers, but I, I never had severe hangovers at the end. I, two, three, four days a week, I, I would wake up with some degree of a hangover. And that's that's not a fun thing, trying to kind of power through when you know that, when, when you feel like dog crap, and you have to power through because you know that it's it's your own fault that that you feel this way. And then, of course, you, you hide all of that because you're ashamed, embarrassed, and, and what have you. So you try to plow through even though it just, ah, yeah, it's awful. So glad to be sober. 
Uh, experienced craving, a strong need or urge to drink. Yeah, I still have that. Uh, found that drinking or being sick from drinking interfered with taking care of other things like family, the obligations with friends, jobs, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is this is the one that kind of is the first one that doesn't really apply for me. So right now I'm four out of five. Continue to drink even though it was causing trouble with your family or friends. So my current wife, she obviously did not like my, my alcoholism. She didn't like how much I drank. And so often would, would talk to me about it. And sometimes it, sometimes in a nice manner and sometimes in, well, a bitchy manner. And don't worry, she, she, she's perfectly fine with me calling her a bitch when she is one. Oddly enough, I never, I always hated using that word until I met her. And now I'm okay with it because there's a lot of times where it applies. Given up or cut back on activities that were important or interesting to you. In order to drink. For me, it, I used the drinking to do things that were interesting to me that I was otherwise nervous to do. That's That that, that was kind of always my motivation to drink, was just to, to kind of quiet the brain. Just, just let me let me do this without overanalyzing it, without being so negative against myself. It's, it, it's almost like it gave me the self-esteem that I don't naturally possess so I could do stuff. In reality, all it was doing was just making it so that way, at the moment, I didn't care about the ramifications of what I was doing. And so then I just I just did it. Which, for a lot of people, that's when you get into serious trouble. More than once got into situations, while or after drinking, that increased your chances of getting hurt. Well, everyone does stupid shit when you're drunk. I, I, I think that the key thing with that, it, if, I had, if, if I could tweak this one... Um, and it says more than once, but I would say often, you know, more often of getting into those scenarios. Because, like I said, everyone, when they're drunk, does stupid stuff. All right. Uh, so continue to drink even though make, it was making you feel depressed or anxious or adding to another health problem. Yes, I've struggled with uh, depression and anxiety for the last uh, seven or eight years. Recently diagnosed and now medicated for ADHD, and let me tell you what, the medication is, it's nice right now. This is the first one, and the doc said, you know, we need to, we need to adjust it. And I can tell that it's helping, but not a lot, which is good. That's good, I think. Anyway, so, so yeah, so, so the drinking definitely created the, the, or added to the depression and the anxiety, and then, of course, the ADHD in terms of being able to concentrate on things and do the work I needed to do. It made, it made that much, you know, it kind of amplified it. Had to drink much more than you once did to get the effect you want. Yes. I mean, by the end, I was, hell, I could have seven or eight drinks and be mildly buzzed. Uh, whereas, you know, obviously 10 years ago, that would have knocked me flat on my back. Which is kind of scary that, that your body can build up that kind of tolerance. I don't know if, it, if it's just your liver gets better at it or your body ignores it more and just kind of passes it on through. I don't know. Or maybe it's just your brain. You know, whatever chemicals the drinking releases, you know, that, that, that kind of deadens after a while. Found that when the effects of alcohol were wearing off, you had withdrawal symptoms. So like the shakes, uh, delirium tremors, irritability, nausea, sweating. I definitely, uh, oh, trouble sleeping. Yes. Uh, after I quit drinking, the first week or two, it was, I was okay in terms of sleeping. And then I went through about a month period where I... You know, three, four nights a week, I was I was getting maybe two hours of sleep. 
because I just I couldn't fall asleep. And then on those nights, once I couldn't fall asleep, then I had trouble staying asleep and just restless and awful. And and it's it's odd because it's kind of created some anxiety for myself for bedtime now to where it's like, oh, God, am I going to sit here and toss and turn forever? Um, which I've started sleeping on the floor, which is good for my back. Uh, amazing for my back. Uh, and that way I don't wake up to life with all of uh, all of my tossing and turning. So that's it. That's the 11. And as I was going through them, if, if you were saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do that. I do that. I do that. Experienced craving. I and and maybe maybe for for a sober person, great. I mean, everyone craves something. You know, I, everyone has that thing that they're addicted to, whether it's TV or chocolate or alcohol or crack. You know, they're they're all they're all just cravings, and and really they all have long term negative health effects. At least those where I gave you. So, I know alcohol and crack. Those those are kind of obvious. Uh, Chocolate. I mean, if you start eating too much chocolate, you're going to start putting on the pounds, and and you know that leads to heart disease and diabetes and all those kind of things later on. And same with TV. If if you sit there like a bump on a log, three, four, five hours a night watching TV, you're going to be a hefty, hefty boy or girl. Like I said, if if a lot of those are are applying to you now, you may want to take a harder look at. You're drinking if you don't consider yourself an alcoholic. For those of us that uh, are alcoholics and or have quit drinking, some of those are, are definitely very, they, they hit home, especially after you, you quit drinking, like the last one, you know, when, when they basically going through withdrawals or the cravings. I mean, those those are the two. I mean, now, now obviously I don't, you know, no one has issues with my drinking because I don't drink. Uh, I don't get into situations when I'm drunk that are unsafe, so forth and so on. So I guess I guess you could look at those two, the the cravings, well, especially the cravings and the um, and the withdrawal symptoms. Now, obviously, like I said, I've kind of moved past the shakiness, the irritability, nausea, sweating those those kind of ones, the the more acute ones. But you know, the trouble sleeping that's still going on. And maybe it maybe it's just a matter of of when you re, when you're recovering, you know the the cravings. W- what do those look like? Like for myself, it's the last few days have been rough. I, I've had a, a fair number of cravings. I was I was watching Downton Abbey. I've never watched it before, and my wife and I have been kind of going through it. And in there, they drink a lot of whiskey. Yeah, just just seeing that in the glass, you know, it's just like, oh, that looks so nice. And then you have to remind yourself, like, nope, I can't do that. That does look nice, but you know what? Let me have a root beer. But yeah, yeah, the, the cravings have been have been harder the last few days. So there's there's a lot of programs that, and and a lot of psychiatrists and and professionals that deal with this that say that you never truly can recover. You know, the power of alcohol retains its grip on you, or your, your drug of choice retains its grip on you to the day you die. And there is some validity with that with alcohol. You know, there, there's only a 50-50 chance that you make it to year one. Now, I believe a lot of that is skewed by people who do, you know, a week, two weeks, that kind of stuff. And you're falling off the wagon early on in the recovery process where it's really tough. It'd be interesting to see, like, once you make it to year one, how, you know, what, what's the percentage of people that relapse later on? You know, two years, five years, ten years. Does it 
does it basically peak in the first year and then really kind of you know flatten out towards you know, towards zero as you go further and further into it one of the things i saw when when i was looking up some of the stuff for this uh for this episode was that alcohol basically when you're drinking it and when you when you abuse it for a long period of time and drugs are the same way when you abuse things for a long period of time and and even marijuana which that's that's a scary one because there's so many people out there that say that it's perfectly safe. There's no issues with it. You know, you can you can do it every day. The overdose amount that you need is so high that it's impossible to get that. Which now that they're making like THC, like concentrated and that kind of stuff, we'll start seeing people dying of of marijuana overdose or THC overdose. I'm sure at some point. Which I mean, from the sounds of it, you have to be really dumb to do that. But I mean, once you get into the cycle of addiction, it uh, your your brain, evil brain takes over, and an evil brain doesn't always think long term. In fact, he never thinks long term. It's it's always okay. Right now, what do I need to do to get my fix? So, and then that that wiring process also depends partly on when you started drinking. If it was before the age of fourteen, so so people who start drinking before the age of fourteen. At least in the states, I know in, in other countries there's there there are a lot more lax about how young kids can drink. To me, it 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 seems kind of silly to let you know a seven or eight year old have alcohol at all. No point to it. Um, anyway, so yeah, if you start drinking before the age of fourteen, fifty fifty chance that you end up to be an alcoholic. And when you're that young, I mean, your brain is still building itself and growing and developing and making connections and all that kind of stuff. So the alcohol, that pathway kind of connects and and then you reinforce it over and over and over. I would be willing to bet that most of the people that fall into the category of becoming alcoholics, it's probably not just, you know, one night you find you raid your parents' liquor cabinet and uh, and get far too drunk because you have no idea what you're doing. It's the people who, you know, even before 14, they're they're drinking on a fairly regular basis. And then, yeah, if you wait until you're 21 or after to start drinking, it, it it's a one in ten chance. I mean, it basically becomes. I mean, that's that's a pretty big swing. Go from you're you're likely to be out an alcoholic, and then of course you know it it'll slope down between 14 and 21, and probably older and older. But officially, alcoholism is a lifelong disease, or substance use disorder is a lifelong disease. It's incurable. You can get treatments for it to reduce reduce the severity, but it is incurable. Which then kind of turns my brain into, okay, what are some other, you know, mental health disorders you know what? What do they look like? And and heck, you can even look at at some more physical issues uh, like diabetes. That's something that you're, you'll have diabetes your entire life. That's not going away. You know, it, it's not like one day you can just stop doing making insulin, or stop injecting yourself with insulin, and then your body will be like, oh well, I guess we got to figure out how to make it. There's a reason why you're injecting yourself in the first place. Bipolar disorder. So where people you know are going from the manic highs where they're up for a couple days at a time going wild and crazy to now they're spending a couple days, weeks, whatever it is in bed, can't go anywhere. That's a lifetime disease. ADHD, I brought that up before. For for a lot of, for most people, it's a lifelong disease. There are some people that, that do grow out of it. 
uh, anxiety that that can be a lifetime thing that 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 can be something that that you keep under control and it flares up when you're 70 years old i have an uncle that yeah recently started having panic attacks just because and and what's odd is is he is like the most easygoing guy i have ever met and then to think of him having panic attacks it's it's just it's wild um which and i guess that is shame on me that is a uh, hor- horrible stereotype because panic attacks you can't control it. it it's not like something to where you know if you if you live a certain way you're not gonna have panic attacks it's basically your brain flipping out about something going into fight or flight mode when it really doesn't need to at all and then of course because you don't have anything to run from all of these chemicals and things in your body have nowhere to be used at and now it's just and it's a spiral one that one that is as actually a can be caused by substance use disorder is depression that is something that officially it it can be cured you can get over your depression but you but basically once you have that first bout of depression then you're you're more susceptible to it which is probably your brain was already more susceptible to it to begin with and now it's just a matter of digging yourself out of that hole which that one sounds a lot like addiction to me to where you may fall in the hole of addiction, climb back out of it, be sober, and you could fall in again and climb back out of it and fall in again and so forth and so on. The one that, that I liken it to is, I guess not liken, but tie, to, to me it kind of ties together, kind of how I think of being an addict, is is cancer. And there's obviously there's many forms of cancer, um, and I won't dive into it, but let's let's think generally with cancer, right? You know, you know that's basically your cells go haywire. This little self-destruct button gets turned off in the cells, and then they start growing and become a problem. You can go in there. You can treat it with you know radiation and chemotherapy, right? So again, staying staying general. I know there's all sorts of other stuff, but but bear with me here. So then at some point, you know, at some point you're able to kind of defeat the cancer, and it, and it goes away. It goes into remission. I like that word for 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 recovery. So remission is you know the cancer has gone away, but it might come back. So we have to be vigilant against it coming back so that way we can treat it again. That, to me, sounds exactly like addiction, right? You can you can dig yourself out of that hole, and, and you can get to the other side to where your, your addiction is in remission, and now you have to be vigilant against it going away. And if it does come back, well, okay, let's, let's get back into a treatment program and go on from there. Additionally, so so there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of discussion and thought and debate about, okay, falling off the wagon, how often is too often to consider yourself recovering, which that's too binary. But at some point, just, just like cancer patients, at some point, if, if you're not taking your treatment seriously enough, if you're not taking your program seriously enough, your sobriety and all those kind of things, it's going to catch up to you and it's going to kill you. So you have to take it seriously to be able to fight against it and keep it in remission. And then at the five-year point, that's, I guess, when, when doctors consider cancer patients, if it hasn't shown back up, you're, you're basically you're cured more or less, but it, with the asterisk that we've really got to stay on top of this, we're going to screen you because you're more likely to get cancer later on in life. Kind of one of those things, if you're not likely to keep getting it until you do, and then, then it's okay. Now, now you're likely for it. I like the, the, the cancer analogy, in, you know, like I said, in terms of it being able to come back. You know, if cancer comes back, there's a whole lot of people that come to support 
that person. Whereas if, if I fall off the wagon in, in 10 years time and I'm getting rip roaring drunk every day, there's not going to be a whole lot of people coming to support and, and stepping over each other to let everyone know that, Hey, I support you. There's just a social stigma, even in with a lot of mental health issues to where, you know, like depression. Oh, just, just don't be sad. Get up and do stuff. Anxiety. Well, why, why, why are you freaking out about things? Just, just don't. ADHD. Well, why don't you just sit down and focus? Why don't you apply yourself? Well, I would love to do all of these things that you're saying, but unfortunately my brain is wired in such a way right now that I cannot do that. The easy thing to do is look at famous people who have addictions and who have relapsed, which Philip Seymour Hoffman is, is, I, I guess that that's the, the example that, that came out to me, the, the best where, I mean, he, he'd been on heroin, got sober, was that way for like 20 years. And then he fell off the wagon and within a year he died of an overdose. So that, sh- that shows you how, I mean, even after 23 years, you can still, you know, it, if you don't stay on top of the demons that caused your drinking or your drug use, you can easily find yourself right back in the same scenario. Uh, ben Affleck, gambling and alcohol for him, which uh, one of the articles I was reading about it said that the, the scuttlebutt is he's, he still has issues with them. And and all of us know that, yeah, it's it's something that you fight the cravings probably indefinitely. And, and even if you go six months without thinking about it once, you might have a rough day and all of a sudden now it's back in your mind. Evil brain, you know, the little, little thin sliver of evil brain that's left says, you should have a drink. That's when you say, no, I'm going to do something else. Which reminds me, I need to get on the distraction podcast. Stuff that you can listen to that's random, weird, wild, whatever. Uh, to not think about drinking, to get your mind off it when you have a craving. Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, so yeah, Brad Pitt, Demi Moore, Matthew Perry, all of them alcohol. Uh, heck, Matthew Perry even worked on Friends while he was drunk and going through all of his issues. And then another good one for getting into recovery and then making something out of yourself, Robert Downey Jr. Had all sorts of issues, ended up in jail a few times, all that kind of stuff. Got himself sober. And then fought to work his way back to where, yeah, now now he's worth how, however many millions of dollars because he's worked hard at it and changed himself for the better and all those kind of things. I think that's the key thing when you're going through recovery. And once you decide you have to quit, you have to take a look at your life and say, hey, all right, what are these patterns that I'm doing that I need to stop and I need to do something else instead of those? Because if you don't, change what caused you to drink whether that's trauma from years ago and then now you need to address it or whether that's uh, you know an abusive partner currently or any number of things or maybe that's just who you hang out with with people who drink all the time and so then you drink all the time so unless unless you start changing all those things you're going to find yourself right back in the same spot you were before you quit and that's where getting into things like AA or smart recovery are, are important. So that way you have that network of people around you that can help you when you're having your rough times, right? Family, friends, church, synagogue, what, what, whatever religion, you know, get that support network there to where at least there's one person, one or two people that you can turn to and say, Hey, look, I'm having a rough day. I need some help. And then that kind of circles back around. If if you're looking at your life and saying, I don't have anyone I could I could even dream of doing that, that's when you need to make those positive changes in your life for the better to be able to put alcoholism in the rearview mirror 
or put your drug use in the rearview mirror. One, one of my friends uh, just told me the other day that one of the hardest things of recovery for him is that there's so few things to do while you're sober. And so then I like, for, for me, I'm, I'm lucky in that I'm, I'm a homebody. I like to stay at home. I like to do stuff here and there's always plenty of, of, of things to do around the house. One of the things you also want to do is, is avoid that the sunk cost fallacy or the all or nothing thinking to where, you know, if let's say someone brings over a, a case of beer and leaves it at your house and now you're stuck with it the day after looking at it like, Oh God, that, that looks tasty. I should throw that out. But I, you know, that God, that's, that's such a waste. That is such a waste to throw out that much beer. You know, it's a bigger waste, your time in life. If you drink it, right. I mean, we're, we're talking what, probably 15, 20 bucks worth of, worth of alcohol at most. Maybe it's a super expensive bottle. Hell, don't eat that somewhere. Give it, give it to your friend. Just, just get rid of it. One thing I liked, I, I did when I first got sober was there was a, a six pack that was left at my house. Cause I, I'd asked someone to take it with them and they didn't. And then just kind of sat there kind of, kind of taunting me. And, and so like actually pouring them out was a very kind of therapeutic thing to do. Then I could sit there and say, you know, I don't need you anymore. You're awful. You're terrible. Just just constantly saying the bad stuff about it. Again, rewiring that brain so that way we work around evil brain instead of going through it. And I mean, pouring it out, that's that is kind of an ultimate sign of, hey, you know what? I'm I'm getting the power back from you. You don't have power over me anymore. So in the end, is it possible to say that you have recovered from your substance use disorder, from your alcoholism, from your drug use, heroin, crack, meth, whatever it is. And it's wild. But before I started this, yeah, I, I would have definitely been in the camp that, yeah, you can. Yeah, you know, at some point you get over it. And now it's it's much more of a gray area for me. It depends, you know, it, how are your cravings looking? What What is your mental state? Can you say that you're no longer an alcoholic and still avoid booze? Can you say that you've recovered from your drug of choice, from your addiction. Before I started recording this and researching it and everything, I would have said, yes, you can. You know, it absolutely, at some point, you're, you'll be able to move on from it. And I think it is important to move on from your addiction. You need to have it in your mind always that you can't at all ever go back to it. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to be something that your recovery all of a sudden kind of takes the place of your addiction. So rather than drinking all all the time or or using heroin or whatever it is, you're now thinking and obsessing about your recovery to where you can't move on, can't do productive things with your life. Now I'm I'm very much in the thought that it is possible to say that your addiction, your alcoholism or drug abuse, whatever it is, is in remission. To to me that seems that seems to be a bit more accurate of what happens. Okay, this has gone away. We, we've, we've gone through our treatment for a year or two or whatever it is. Okay, now I'm ready to put this behind me. Knowing that, that that existed, and I can't go back to it at all, so now we need to go through, go forward. And if the cravings and that kind of stuff start becoming too much, or if you, know, you fall off the wagon completely, then it's a matter of, okay, now we need to get back into our full-on treatment, our chemotherapy and radiation, all that kind of stuff. So that's that's where I'm at. It's it's not recovery. It's putting it into remission and then constantly checking back in and not constantly, but checking back in 
on a regular basis to remind yourself that that your drug, that alcohol, or whatever it is, is this awful, no good, terrible thing, and that using it, taking even one sip, taking one hit, could potentially cost you your life. With that, I wish you all the best of luck today. It uh, It's not an easy journey. It does get easier as time goes on, but it's never easy. And with that, just know that I, I will not drink with you today. We'll worry about tomorrow when it gets here. But for today, I will not drink with you. Have a good one. Reminder to everyone out there, this podcast is not medical advice. It's really for entertainment purposes only. I take all of my life experiences and put them into this, but that doesn't mean I'm an expert. If you need an expert, go to someone who has a fancy piece of paper hanging on the wall. I do not have that fancy piece of paper. But if you do want to chat with me, uh, offer any sort of comments, questions, concerns, anything, uh, shoot me a line. My email is more than a drunk at gmail.com. Again, that's more than a drunk at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter occasionally uh, at more than a drunk. So, again, basically the name of the podcast at Gmail and then on Twitter as well. So, shoot it over there. Um, confidentiality is, is assured. I'm not, I have zero interest in, in what is it, doxing, doxing people. And then finally, uh, I, I've had a few people reach out to me indicating interest in helping to support the podcast. So I set up uh, two different ways that you can contribute uh, for now. Uh, go to go to uh, go to the website and scroll all the way down to the bottom. So the website is more than a drunk dot pinecast.co. So go there, all the way at the bottom, there's there's two separate links. One for the tip jar through Pinecast, I guess they have that. And then also I have a Patreon page, which uh, I'm learning to use. That is interesting. It it seems like just another thing that I have to constantly keep updated, and, and I, have, I have other things I want to focus on. So if, you know, if you think the show is worth a dollar, send it my way. I would love to have, have it help, uh, help support what we're doing here. Other than that, I am certainly not in this for the money. It's been such a therapeutic experience getting all of this out there. And so so I appreciate every, everyone that's listening. I, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your ears. So with that, I think that's all I need to say today. Best of luck to you all. Have a great rest of the day.